Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the here we go. Hello. Yes, good evening, and welcome to another uh, Masterpiece Theater <laughs> with uh, TMX 12 and what's the other one they have? Did you ever see that one? Mystery Science Theater. Mystery Science no Theater. No idea. I am uh, <laughs> that guy, and she's the blonde bombshell, and you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojanet, Pararex, and East Bridgewater's TV. East Bridgewater Community Television. Right. So we had we an awesome show today, really. God, I hope so. Really. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy putting one of these shows together, and so I really, you know, take this time to thank everybody who worked so hard and diligently to make this happen. So Absolutely. I, uh, I do appreciate it. Thank you very much to all our crew right. for getting us on the air. <laughs> So anyways, we've got a good show today because we flew in someone all the way from the UK. I know. Mm, isn't I know. that exciting? Yeah, but shh, don't say yet. Oh, I didn't. Don't say. No, I haven't. <laughs> so what do we got surprise for me? A surprise? Yeah. Don't you have a little surprise for me like you always do? Like a cemetery turban? That's never a surprise. Of course it is. That's expected. I, yeah, but I never know what it's going to be. How long have you been doing this show? But I never know what it's going to be, and I'm so excited. I always come in waiting with bated breath to say, I wonder what Anne's going to be doing in her cemetery tripping thingy. No, he doesn't. I always do. No, he doesn't. Time. No, he doesn't. Well, we do have a cemetery, <laughs> a cemetery tripping this mm -hmm. evening, and uh, we uh, just finished up a weekend of Spirit Quest up Grove Land Mass, which right. was lots of fun. Very informative. Lots of nice people. Made some new friends. Met some old friends. And 
also had some time to do a little uh, cemetery therapy. And uh, did? I did. I snuck out. When did you do that? I snuck out. You didn't even know I was gone. You little creep. <laughs> I left, snuck out. It left me behind with all those yeah, animals. Saturday night, we had a little downtime before dinner, so I had seen one earlier in the day uh, and, when and, I was coming in. And uh, you just didn't ask me? No. You weren't too stressed out. It gets Sorry. a little stressed out. So anyways... Uh, this is a great cemetery that I found up in Georgetown. So if we can go to cemetery tripping right now, enjoy. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping where I will feature a different cemetery in each episode that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. As an avid taphophile, or lover of tombstones, I spend a lot of time in the local New England area in the beautiful and historic cemeteries we have here. The stones here are like no others, and I have literally thousands of pictures of the intricate and symbolic carvings found on them. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Today we are visiting Union Cemetery in Georgetown, Mass., which is right down the road from Groveland, where we held this year's Spirit Quest. Georgetown was first settled in 1639 and was officially incorporated into a town in 1828. In 1675, settlers of the town became involved in King Philip's War. A militia was raised under Captain Samuel Brocklebank, Captain Wadsworth of Milton, and Lieutenant Sharp of Brookline. They met in war on April 21, 1676, in Sudbury, Mass., and the local militia suffered many losses. An obelisk stands in Sudbury Cemetery, dedicated to the memory of those who died in that battle. The oldest graves in this cemetery are located just inside the wrought iron fence. I found one of the very first people buried in the cemetery almost immediately, Joseph Nelson's wife, Hannah who died on June 5, 1732, at age 48. Hannah Nelson was the granddaughter of war hero Captain Samuel Brocklebank. It even reads in Hannah's epitaph that her grandfather was slain by Indians on April 21, 1676. Captain Brocklebank is buried in Wadsworth Cemetery in Sudbury, Mass. Another Brocklebank relative, Job, is buried here, and his epitaph reads, A Soldier of the Revolution. The next oldest stone in Union Cemetery is the grave of Reverend James Chandler, the first pastor of Rowley West Parish Church, who died in 1789 at age 83. It is marked with a large table stone, which has a lengthy epitaph, which is in amazingly good condition considering it is laid flat for more than 200 years. The graves of Abigail Merrill and her daughter Lois caught my eye due to their beautiful cursive script, which I don't see very often. The sole effigy on Lois's grave is stunning, as is the traditional death's head on Abigail's stone. There were many different examples of willows in this burial ground, as well as some of the largest death heads I have ever seen, carved in a style that I have been told is called cabbage heads or pumpkin heads due to their size. There are many members of the Spofford family buried here, with another gorgeous soul effigy on the grave of Elizabeth Spofford, who died in 1777 in her 29th year. 
Open areas near the front of the cemetery are believed to contain the unmarked graves of the many child victims of the throat distemper epidemic of 1736, which killed 48 children. It is also believed that slaves are buried in unmarked graves along the edges of the cemetery's oldest sections. If you are ever in historic Georgetown, check out this cemetery, as well as the Samuel Brockle Bank Museum just down the street. Perhaps you can do this when you come to next year's Spirit Quest. See you then. Well, there you go. There you have it. See what I missed? I, I, uh, it was funny because when I was in the cemetery mm -hmm. and I came across that first stone of uh, the granddaughter of Samuel Buckle, Buckle, oh, now I forgot his name. Bucklebank, Bucklebank. Whatever. And I had to actually, like, I'm like trying to dust off the stone. I'm like, what does it say? Bucklebank. So, uh, anyways, he's the local war hero. So, uh, so that was <clears throat> a little interesting bit of folklore that I stumbled across. But, at any rate. Excellent. Are we going to uh, introduce our guest this evening? You're, you're doing so good today. Oh, you do, he just wants to sit here and eat popcorn. You're the best. Nate brought him popcorn again, so now he's just going to sit and eat popcorn. So I'm happy. Well, all right. I will introduce our guest fine. Uh, our guest this evening is a visitor from England, and I'd like to introduce Mr. Steve Parsons. Yay! Hi, good evening. <laughs> Thank you for coming. You Thank you for being here. Where's my popcorn? <laughs> I know Wait one's eaten it, hasn't he? No popcorn, sorry. Oh, well. What? what I, it's your turn. Oh, okay. Uh, actually, I'm going to do all the work. Okay. Well, you're doing so fine. And, you know, I'm, I'm really laid back. I mean, the spirit quest was awesome, but it, it really was. still exhausted. Oh, it's really cool sitting here in the churchyard. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways... Um, Steve, Steve now, is so. my co-host from Ghost Chronicles International, in case you didn't know, um, which can be heard every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tojanet, Parax, Planet Paranormal, and far beyond that, including Radio Crackle in UK, which I have no idea what it is. Radio Crack? Radio, yeah, it could be. <laughs> Wise cracks on it. But anyways. Crackle? So Steve is a uh, parapsychologist and a officiato of uh, Harry Price, and for those who don't know, Harry Price is probably the gold standard in uh, ghost hunting back in his day, and uh, now we have the gold standard of Wall Street Journal's 20th century gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons, so I think the uh, circle has come complete. So Steve, um, welcome to the U.S., and uh, it's finally good to be able to sit down next to you when we do a show, so that's... Although you put it's in to be between, back. which was a good idea. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> <laughs> so, uh, would you call yourself a Harry Price aficionado? Uh, Harry Price has certainly been a hero of mine since childhood. I mean, the books were, I think lots of children have grown up with the books. You know, the boy wizard under the stairs, the owl delivering them in mm -hmm. mail. I think, yeah. Uh, I think that's the wrong Harry. It isn't if you type it into eBay. <laughs> Seriously, you put Harry Price into into eBay search, it comes up with all Harry Potter. Oh my God, that's funny. Is it on Wikipedia? So it must be true. Must be true. Must be. <laughs> but yeah, I've uh, I've been uh, interested in ghosts since childhood, and of course, he was one of the great ghost hunters of the 1930s and 40s, and and earlier. But uh, his books were 
the sort of books that I grew up reading, plus Peter Underwood and uh, Andrew Green and others. Peter Underwood and Andrew Green? I don't think many other, people in America know that. Other them. great British. Well, they were famous in their day at both sides of the Atlantic, but Price uh, gained a degree of notoriety because of Borley Rectory and because after his death there was uh, a deal of controversy uh, about him that uh, people said that he manipulated situations or that he was fraudulent. Really? They absolutely did. Mm. Mm. I've heard that before. <coughs> <coughs> no. Despite the fact that that was laid to rest um, and the work that the book that originally put the knife into Harry was seriously undermined, uh, Mudsticks, unfortunately. Ah. So he's always referred to as a controversial figure. I, I'm just curious, has anybody ever, you know, there are a lot of mediums in the world, especially in the UK, has any of them ever attempted to contact Harry Teich after uh, his death? They haven't set out to contact Price, but not very many years after Price died, uh, he was reputed, reported to have come through to a number of mediums. Wow. What do you have to say? Uh, nothing substantial. Nothing substantial. Mm. <laughs> nothing worth reporting. <laughs> Interesting. Now, for those who don't, who aren't really familiar with Harry mm -hmm. Price, um, can we have um, a little bit of background on Harry? Absolutely. He was born um, at a very young age and <laughs> young. went on his first ghost hunt at age 15, where he remarkably claimed uh, to have blown up a poltergeist. Oh. Uh, Price and a, a school friend had heard that in the village in the middle of England where they were holidaying, that there was a manor house that had a ghost, and they decided to creep into the building. They got permission to creep into the building late at night, and they sat there the first night, and they heard footsteps in the empty building descending the stairs. And when the footsteps got to the bottom of the stairs, there was, they paused, and they ascended again. So the next night, the boys returned, and Price, who had an inventive uh, character, brought along a camera, and they needed some f uh, flash. So he constructed a rudimentary flash gun using flash powder and a tobacco tin, which he placed on the floor. Uh -oh. He ran the uh, a length of bell wire under the door into the dining room, where the two boys waited, and Price had his finger on the, on the, the button that would activate the flash. They waited and waited and they heard the footsteps descend the stairs. The footsteps paused. They took two steps up. Price pressed the trigger. They said the blinding light lit up the dining room. <laughs> the, they both heard the footsteps distinctly stumble. When they rushed out, there was not a shred of um, remnant of anything, not even the flash tin. <laughs> and Price said in his biography that he uh, potentially blew up the poltergeist. Oh. Price used the term poltergeist for, for all forms of ghosts. Uh -huh. So, well, maybe he did. Mm. Which just sort of harks back to the Haunted Asylum uh, episode where they blew up a ghost after capturing it. <laughs> kind of, can you kill it, something that's already dead? Uh, well, according to the Haunted Asylum people, which is the, uh, the uh, what do they call the Wraith, Wraith is the name of the group, is that uh, it did work because by blowing it up, they dispersed the energy because no <coughs> energy <coughs> can either be created or destroyed, but could be dispersed. So therefore, that was their th 
thinking behind blowing up the ghost after they trapped them in the devil's box, which is a box that is enclosed in mirrors so that the ghosts would go in the box and be confused because there were mirrors everywhere. So there you go. That's the name of that too. All right. Wow. So, I mean, you've been doing this for several years, Mr. Uh, Parsons. Uh, doing what? Ghost investigating. Ghost investigating and uh, parapsychology. And uh, you've written uh, several papers and several articles uh, for the SPR or the Ghost Club and other uh, reputable uh, ghost organizations or, or, or uh, paraphysical organizations. And. Uh, you're, you're quite um, distinguished in the, the UK, uh, so much so that the Wall Street Journal came over a couple of years ago and did a feature article, which is really interesting since it's such a Main Street magazine here, I mean, newspaper here in the U.S. So, I mean, what led you along this path to, you know, go into that study? Um, I honestly don't really know. I think it's just something that's innate within, what, within, within all of us, an interest in these People like fishing, people like aeroplanes, people like racing cars. Uh, my bag growing up with ghosts, read the books, um, and just developed that interest. And fortunately for me, I was able to pursue the interest into a, I can't really call it a career, but <laughs> a full-time hobby, I think, would suffice for 35 years. Wow. But you you had a, a regular job uh, growing up. I mean, you you were you, you were a nurse at that time, so I mean, you made a you no longer do that. So you made a, a career change. So what was the driving force that made you change your career, which was nursing, into going to ghost hunting? Uh, well, I was unable to com uh, to work properly as a nurse due to an accident, which gave me the opportunity to. Uh, essentially use my hobby as uh, to be able to pursue it full time mm -hmm. so it was it was a, a huge advantage to be able to sort of change change horses and not necessarily worry too much about uh, the day-to-day -day boredom of having to work for a living <laughs> <laughs> but I now work at nights because ghost hunters only work at nights don't they so, I mean, well, the, inter fact. the interesting thing about it, I mean, there are so many people in the world that are involved in this now, especially uh, since the advert of, of all these television shows. And uh, I know that, for instance, you know, you're, you're, quite, you're, you're quite esteemed in the UK. I mean, how did you reach that position? I mean, was it a, a series of articles that, that caught the attention of other academics or or was it a pursuit of a, a particular case? Uh, there are two ways that you gain recognition in this field. The first way is to get on a television series and tell everybody how great you are. <laughs> you know, and then do cons and conventions, charge people lots of money because you're a celebrity. Well, there you go. Right. The other way of doing it is the way that I used, which was to produce results that people find credible, uh, to conduct research that people find to be uh, meaningful, helpful to developing our understanding of a range of phenomena relating to ghosts and haunting. And the recognition isn't something I set out to achieve. I set out purely to achieve uh, an understanding for myself and for the team Parascience, which I'm a member. The recognition for, for the, the hard work that we do came from, from, uh, from other people. And it's something that I think is 
is uh, the best accolade that any group or investigator could could uh, wish to receive. You know, I mean, if we take the perhaps a musical analogy, you get bands that go onto the X Factor or uh, Britain or America's Got Talent. They have a, a hit single, where you have other groups that that work their way through the the pub and club scene, learning their craft and learning their trade. Right. So I went through the pub and club scene. I see. Paid your dues, so to speak. Yeah, paid my dues. Paid your dues. And along the way, you founded this parascience and. Originally, you were a member of another group, uh, so I, I assume that you joined this group because of like interest with other principals in the group. But what made you go on to form Parascience, and, and what was its goal? Well, back in back in the day when we fought, when Parascience uh, formed, Anne, Anne Winsper, my uh, the co-founder of Parascience, we we both were in a local paranormal team because uh, at that time in the UK there were probably less than uh, 20 groups within the entire United Kingdom. Wow. It wasn't considered to be uh, a mainstream activity. It was considered to be very fringe activity, and if you, you, it was sort of spoken about in hushed terms. But nonetheless, we 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 found ourselves in the same local paranormal team, and we readily uh, recognised that what we were dealing with. A situation that we deal with still today with uh, with many paranormal teams is a group of people who wanted a spooky, scary experience and wanted to validate their own beliefs, their own ideas that they that they already had. Um, I have an interest in technology and with gadgets. Uh, no one here is acutely developed as yours, though, Ron. Um, but we started to deploy equipment to support the the more spiritual uh, uh, stuff that was being used, the Ouija boards, the, the, the table tipping. And what happened was we, we started to discover very quickly that we were catching the team manufacturing the results, ah. which got us thrown out. <laughs> and made us very unpopular. So we decided that Anne worked in pharmacy, you know, I worked I'd worked in industry, uh, in engineering and then in nursing. We have to work to a very high degree of um, accuracy. We we both understood the scientific principle and so we decided that if we were going to ever satisfy ourselves, then we had to work to those standards. So you created parascience to work under a certain set of rules and regulations. Yeah. The rules are simple in parascience. It's uh, Harry Price established a set of rules for investigators in the 1930s, and the first line of which is uh, attend to all written and verbal instructions and carry them out to the letter. Well, that's rule one of parascience. Mm -hmm. And rule two of parascience, whatever Anne tells me, I tell them, and that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And don't that's show any initiative. Right. Chain of command. So I, I know that, that you spoke earlier about television shows and how a lot of people get uh, their information from it. And you were involved, of course, in one of my favorite shows, uh, that which ran for 10 seasons or so in the UK, uh, Most Haunted, and was over here on the Travel Channel. And uh, so how, how did you get involved in that? And, and what was your experiences like? Uh, well, actually, Most Haunted's back. Um, they've done two more series in the UK now, so you'll probably... After a short hiatus. After a short hiatus. Yeah. Uh, so you'll yeah. probably be able to get it in the near future again on, on the oh, US channel. Yeah. Excellent. Um, 
my involvement was one of, uh, first of all, behind the camera, de developing the uh, some of the experiments that we used on camera. Um, and it's interesting that you, you bring up Most Haunted because, in actual fact, in front of camera, there were only ever six episodes that I, I was front of camera on. Um, more than 60 documentaries I've forgotten because it wasn't in the right sort of popularist genre. Most Haunted was akin to Ghost Hunters in the USA. It was a cult television program. Mm -hmm. when, when the show did live episodes uh, over, say, a three-day Halloween special, uh, tickets were highly sought after for the audience, audience places. But my involvement was primarily behind the camera. Um, then Kieran, the parapsychologist on the show, the skeptical parapsychologist, um, he, ha he was relocating from the UK to France. And uh, I'd been working with Anne, Kieran and Yvette on uh, the book, Kieran and Yvette's book, The Ghost Hunters. Right. And it was a case of, can you, you know, step up and cover for Kieran? Which turned into Kieran and I sharing the role for, for uh, uh, the remainder of the series. I was supposed to do the next series, but by then I, I realised that I was happier doing what I did. The uh, behind the scenes stuff? Well, the, the documentary stuff. Mm -hmm. The documentary, rather than the performance uh, art of ghost hunting. Yeah, of course, Anne was on TV. She was just on the... Uh, <laughs> we saw her. <laughs> we Ooh. saw her. Oh, right. yeah. this is very exciting. I was on the Bridgewater, final cut of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. Right. That uh, they picked up on the um, Destination America. Destination America. It made it past the cutting room floor, so... Uh, <laughs> That was exciting, but I, I did want to say that Most Haunted was the first, before Ghost Hunters, it was, it was. was the first show that I ever saw um, that piqued my interest my in the paranormal. And I would, it used to be on um, here at, on like Friday nights at 10 o'clock, mm -hmm. and I would I would just wait all day. Get your wine. You know, get my wine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, really for, ready for, for Most Haunted. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what started me down this particular path. Um, and a lot of people yeah. in the UK... Hence the farming of East Bridgewater's right. Most Haunted. Right, East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. Right. Correct, yeah. A lot of modern investigators in the UK particularly can trace their interest to Most Haunted. Mm -hmm. But now it's become fashionable as they've established their own groups. Uh, you attend their investigations and they often start off with well, you know, Most Haunted, we're nothing like that. That's just television. And then they do everything that Most Haunted does. <laughs> mm -hmm. they t they're, they're putting, like, a clear blue water between themselves and the entertainment side. But then they use exactly the same techniques and right, methods. Right, right. Um, it's, it's sort of elitism, a snobbery. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. let, let's go back in time a little bit now yeah. and talk about Harry Price. Okay. We do, because we have a lot of information right. so that Steve sent us about Harry Price right. that we'd so like to. So where would you like to start, Steve? Uh, well, Harry has got to be... We, we left him blowing poltergeist up at age 15. That's right. <laughs> uh, Price, was, Price was an engineer um, and a deep interest in history, but a, uh, a very powerful and strong interest in magic. And he was a member of the Magic Circle, and he... Uh, became fascinated in the illusion and magic and mediumship because the, it was a 
it was very popular in the years immediately after the First World War. There were lots of mediums offering to uh, get the uh, communication from the troops, the soldiers who had been killed during the carnage of the First World War. Mm -hmm. And uh, organizations like the Society for Psychical Research were studying the, the explosion in mediumship. Price was also fascinated. He joined the Society for Psychical Research, but was a little unhappy with the results or the, the techniques and methods that they were using. And he set up his own in 1925, the National Laboratory for Psychical Research, which was um, actually on the top floor of the Spiritualist Building in London, ah. in Queen's, Queen's Square, I think it was. Um, and he worked much more closely with spiritualists, um, testing mediums. He became uh, renowned as a fearsome debunker of fraudulent mediums. But, uh, and here you can see, I think there's a picture of the NLPR. Oh yeah, look at that. Uh, right. That's cool. It was a tremendously well-equipped. It had uh, seance rooms, it had a laboratory, it had an engineering workshop. Um, it had access to all of a range of equipment that modern ghost hunters would probably recognize. Mm -hmm. and there were motion detectors, there were stereo cameras. There were things that we're, we're not allowed to have today, like bowls of mercury right. and flasks of brandy. Although I think the flask of brandy should make a comeback. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, Price worked hard. He debunked many, many mediums. But he also substantiated when he felt that he was dealing with a case of genuine mediumship. He would champion uh, the medium um, and he would he was not afraid of saying in his opinion he was dealing with a genuine case no. and one of the most um, uh, outstanding mediums that price was involved with was stella c or stella cranshaw this was a young london office girl whom right. price met on the train going into london uh, and she was uh, actually she, i think she was reading his paper over his shoulder <laughs> and there was a, a, a mention in it of uh, spiritualist meetings and they got talking. Stella admitted that she, she had had odd moments, uh, psychic experiences, and Price persuaded her to come into the NLPR, the National Laboratory, to be tested. Mm -hmm. And she produced some, some incredible results. The most famous is the Andrews liver salt result, uh, um, where Stella described a vision um, which didn't mean anything at the time, but some weeks later, it rely it uh, it was accurately shown to have been the front cover of a newspaper. I think it was the Daily Mirror newspaper uh, or the Daily Mail newspaper. They contacted the paper. Uh, it was the Daily Mail, and it's yeah, it's the the Andrews liver salt. She described the advert, the date, and other information. They spoke to the paper. Now, what was interesting is the paper only, there were two Andrews Liversalt adverts. Um, the other one, they, they were switched around only 24 hours beforehand, ah. which removed any possibility of Stella or Price or anybody else right. knowing which advert was going to be used. Right. Wow. Price also invented some really cool gadgets uh, to work with Stella. Uh, one that we tried to recreate for Spirit Quest 2014, but we gave the task to Ron, so that was <laughs> doomed to fail, uh, was the telekinetoscope. And what Price was trying to seek was, uh, could, could psychic forces um, be measured, be, be observed? And he had this device rigged up whereby 
a button press would light a, uh, would, would light a lamp. But being a little more crafty than that, he put the button under a glass dome. Being even craftier than that, beneath the glass dome and above the bubble, above the button was a soap bubble. <laughs> so not only would the dome itself have to be removed, but any action to physically press the button would have popped the soap bubble. Uh -huh. And the bulb did indeed light. Wow. Hmm. That's amazing. And so, uh, yeah, so when Price uh, was committed to mediumship, um, he was more than happy to proclaim it as, in his opinion, a genuine phenomena. Right. But will betide anybody who Price caught. And he did catch many mm -hmm. uh, psychic photographers. Um, mediums, all manner of... Um, so it's very similar to Harry Houdini in his pursuit of... Price and Houdini were great, were, were, uh, wrote to each other and communicated, and uh, they, they, were, they were close friends and allies. Oh, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. They were chasing the same thing, right? Well, not necessarily. Houdini was looking for proof. And people think that Houdini was a debunker of mediums, mm -hmm. which he used with his stage show, of course, because he realized that it was, a, it was a great show. But throughout his life, Houdini remained, uh, I suppose, ever hopeful, but a forlorn hope that he could get in touch with his mother. Right. And his, his the, the stage act, this, this frustration at not finding mediums turned inwards because he couldn't get to speak to his mother. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other interesting thing about it, of course, is, is that uh, he was introduced to that by uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, who was very much into the, the medium as uh, the spiritualist church. And he, even after his death, they attempted to contact his wife, attempted to contact uh, Harry, because uh, he believed if anyone could come back, he could. And uh, the last seance was held on top of the uh, hotel in uh, Hollywood. And uh, it's debatable on the results of it. Uh, like everything, you can make statistics and everything work to your advantage or against you. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's an interesting, Harry was a, an interesting character, to say the least. He was, you know, all these memes, everybody's like, he's only went to town to... Uh, simply, uh, you know, pick on a medium, and then, but they were part of his show. That was part of his act, and and they knew that, and they 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 volunteered to be part of it. Mm -hmm. In fact, so uh, you know, it's not all poor old mediums. You know, it's it's like uh, okay, they knew what they were getting into. <laughs> both uh, both Harrys actually wrote books uh, showing uh, how mediums produce the tricks. Mm -hmm. um, Price with uh, the author uh, Eric Dingwall reproduced uh, the work of, uh, it was called Revelations of a Spirit Medium, which is incredibly difficult to get uh, their own version of it, which was a direct um, facsimile of an extremely rare book that was produced in America in the 1890s uh, by an American medium gone good. And he revealed all of the tricks that were uh, common on the circuit mediums. Uh, the books were bought up and disappeared rapidly Amazingly. and there were only three original copies known to exist price had two of them in his library he had a huge psychical uh, research library mm -hmm. and he sacrificed one of the two rare, rare books in order that a facsimile could be could be made which itself now is an incredibly rare book 
Wow. Interesting. That's amazing. We have a question. Um, uh, Stephen Scott <coughs> couldn't be in chat tonight. <laughs> and you know we had to have a question for you. <laughs> um, How's the beach house? So <coughs> that was his question. That's <laughs> <laughs> pumpkin cream pie like. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve uh, wanted to ask you, Stephen Scott wanted to ask you, what impact do you feel Harry Price had on ghost hunting today? And what do you think he would think of today's modern uh, methods and practices? Interesting question. That's a very good question. Um, what impact? I think a lot of groups can like to pay lip service to the idea that they're inspired by Price. But Price did give us a set of guidelines in, a, in uh, the instructions for, the, uh, for his investigators at Borley Rectory. Uh, a very short book that had blue card covers and was called The Blue Book. Um, by price, but that wasn't actually the, its title. It was how to investigate the the alleged haunting. Okay. Um, so a lot of groups, I think, because he's a well-known character, in, and he will become incre incredibly well-known in 2015, 16, because there are uh, there is a television series coming out in the UK. Uh, oh, that would nice. be cool. Uh, very, very, very loosely based on price. <laughs> it's as accurate as they use his name. Oh, um, <laughs> and there's also an animated uh, film coming out that, that talks about the Borley story as well. Mm -hmm. So Price will become a, a, a more popular. Mm -hmm. The controversy remains because most people have never really understood or read beyond the fact that there was this really good ghost hunter called Harry Price, but right. he was a bit fraudulent and a bit, uh, you know, therefore uh, he was controversial. Mm -hmm. What would Price think today? I would love to to go back in time and ask him because um, I have a feeling I know. I mean, I'm not psychic in any way. <laughs> um, I've studied Price for years and years and his methods, and the way he writes, the way he speaks. I think he would turn in his grave because what he's what he's seeing is almost no research at all no valuable contribution. Price was, Price dedicated his entire psychical uh, career. Well, what about groups like the SPR and the Ghost Club? And well, they're still going, but you, uh, the question was about ghost hunting today. Yeah. Uh, the SPR doesn't do ghost hunting, uh, and nor does the Ghost Club uh, in, a, in, a, in an effectual way. <coughs> Price spent his entire career trying to uh, persuade and, and uh, get academics to take psychical research seriously, he offered them money. He offered them access. To, he offered them the, the NLPR itself, his psychical library. He went round many universities uh, throughout the UK and into Europe, saying, "You know, if you we need to bestow a chair, um, a department, a department of parapsychology to study these phenomena." And I think if we look at his aim, that was his aim in life. That was that was the mission he gave himself and if we look at ghost hunters and if we look at ghost adventures and most haunted and the others i really think he would think that we'd f he we'd failed we'd let him down oh, mm -hmm. wow <laughs> so in your dissertation you mentioned borley rectory so why don't we talk a little bit about borley rectory uh you know what is the background for it and then first of all harry price's involvement in it well the rectory was built in 1863 by uh, the reverend um, Henry Bull, 
to house his family. Uh, it's it was in the remote it is in the was in the remote hamlet of Borley, which is on the Essex and Suffolk border. Um, it was it was remote then and it's remote now. It had no electricity. Um, but it had a reputation of having been built on top of a religious building, a monastery or a convent. And it had a reputation for being haunted, particularly by a spectral nun seen walking through the grounds. So often, in fact, that one of the, the windows to the dining room of uh, the rectory was bricked up by the Reverend Bull to stop the nun peering in while his family was having a meal. <laughs> Um, and this was the wow. window tax, so he bricked it up for a reason, and that was the reason that was always stated. Uh, the building did have, it wasn't Price that gave the building the name of the most haunted house in England. The name actually arrived before um, Price's involvement, which began in 1929. Before you get into it, you talked about the nun, and, and the, the nun's appearance became so <coughs> regular that the path through the garden became known as the nun's walk. No. No, I'll no, explain that to us then. Well, do we go linearly or jump to the nun? Well, you were... Go ahead. Well, the nun's walk, when we deal with the question, the nun's walk, uh, the nun was seen on two, in one particular part of the, the, the extended gardens of the rectory, uh, where she was seen famously on June the 20th, sorry, July the 28th, by three of the uh, bull both sisters, the, the daughters of, of uh, Reverend Henry. Um, they ran in, one of them ran in, another one came out, called out to come see, come see. And they saw this figure of the nun walking uh, a path which ran at the, the boundary of the garden. The figure is reported uh, to walk on that path once or twice over the years, most recently I think in the 1960s or 70s. And it just became known as the nun's walk. But the nun is much, was much more frequently seen standing at the gate, leaning on the gate, uh, wistfully staring out into the roadway outside Borley, outside the rectory. Hmm. So uh, the, the nun is walking to the window, evidently. <laughs> um, well, the windows nowhere near the nun's walk either. Um, Why would they have bricked it up if they... <coughs> because the nun used to stand there and peer in through the window um, whilst the family were eating, according to the story. Okay. But Price's involvement starts in 1929 when the incumbent at the time writes to the newspaper um, asking for help. He wrote to the Daily Mirror newspaper and said, this rectory in which we live is haunted, with strange things are going on. Can you uh, put us in touch with somebody? Um, I think the... Uh, reading the letters nowadays, I think what he was after was the Society for Psychical Research. The newspaper phoned Price, who was the most famous ghost hunter in Britain. Uh, they had already sent a report to the, uh, Victor Wall, um, and he, uh, Wall and Price returned to the rectory a, a few days later. And uh, some strange things happened. Objects were thrown. Uh, a glass shattered through the canopy. Uh, they held a seance that night, and they got the, the name of the Reverend Harry Bull, which was the son of the, uh, he was the second incumbent after Henry, the builder. Mm -hmm. um, some information was um, passed during the seance to two of the Bull sisters, who had also come up to uh, join in the seance. And this was information about their brother Harry, 
the, the second incumbent who was also by now passed um, that they said was deeply personal and perfectly accurate. Price's involvement then waned a little bit over the following uh, it peaked at first uh, he, he began to follow the story with interest but his assumption was that it was the wife of the incumbent was probably just being a little hysterical and that there really wasn't it a great deal that he could get involved with, although he, he, he wrote a little for some of the, uh, for the paper, mm -hmm. who were quite keen on the story. Uh, so much so that unfortunately he, he, uh, he wasn't welcomed by uh, the Reverend Smith, who was the incumbent at the time, uh -huh. for blaming his wife. Uh, but, but Price was, <laughs> was able to keep a watching brief on the rectory uh, until there was a rector change um, when his involvement increased again. Um, so he, he, he maintained his interest from 29 through to his death in 1948, wow. which peaked in 1937, mm -hmm. 38, with uh, his rental of the property for an entire year. Wow. Uh, in fact, the church offered to sell him the building, oh. but it was already a huge tourist attraction. Uh, that people would come out in charabangs, which are some motor coaches, mm -hmm. uh, to see the to see the ghost. Uh, but Price realised uh, he could have bought it for five hundred pounds, <laughs> but he chose to rent it for the sum of thirty pounds for the year. Uh. And he he advertised in the Times newspaper for a team of investigators because Price was in ill, uh, suffering from ill health, mm -hmm. and he had other projects that he was involved with, right. the laboratory, and there were other projects and ideas. Uh, that Price was involved with, so he wanted to put an independent team into into Borley, and uh, once he, that year had ended, he collated the notes uh, with assistance from some of the investigators, mm -hmm. and produced the book, The Most Haunted House in England, which was the first of two books that, that got to print. There was a third book that was Price was writing when he had his heart attack and died in 1948. Wow. Um, I'm pleased to own Price's own hand annotated copy of the first book, mm, which lovely. is which is a very cool. Uh, he did other things too. I mean, he he reinvented the Zenicard because he realised that the Zenicard, something we're all familiar with, the opening scene of Ghostbusters, uh, <laughs> the the cards with the, oh, the square, right. the circle, yes, the squirrel, yes. the giraffe, and the um, yeah, there was five symbols. Mm -hmm. uh, Price went when a set was sent from the Ryan Institute in North Carolina, Price looked at them and he realized it was see-through. Uh, so there was a problem. That's a little problem. Um, that's a little problem. Yeah, it, the, the first batch of wine cards was a problem. So he uh, redeveloped into a set that he could use in his own laboratory testing mediums in a similar manner mm -hmm. called the telepathic cards. Uh, um, and these have very similar symbols. Oh, and he screen. even he even tried to market it. The cards were made by I think Waddington Games, and the cards were um, the the ones that we're seeing on screen now. They are the they are the lab telepathic version. But Price was trying to market a commercial version, so alongside the uh, sort of psychic clairvoyance uh, parlor game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now we also have a um, you had sent me a video. Yeah. Uh, of Harry yeah. Price, do we want to maybe? Yeah, it's the only known footage of Price. Um, he did the world's first radio uh, live ghost hunt mm -hmm. in 1936 from Kent. Ah. But we have almost nothing apart from a 10-minute 
movie reel, news reel of Price. Obviously, we can't play all 10 minutes. Right. But uh, we have an extract, I think, where Price explains rather well what psychical research is. All right. Uh, Russ, can we roll that clip, please? But, uh, yeah, I actually have a little piece of him when he was working with the Firewalker, uh, uh, what the heck is his name, Kabuto or something or other. Kuda Bucks. Yeah, but that was kind of cool. Oh. Um, Firewalker? Yeah, you know Walking yeah. on Fire? Yes. So really yeah. cool. We do it as a Sunday afternoon charity fundraising now, but oh. back in the 30s, firewalking was considered to be a mystical pursuit. 
Oh, I see. Like burning witches. Oh, like burning witches. Let's go burn some witches. You know, we, we talked about Bowley Rectory, but we never talked about the full story of Bowley Rectory. We kind of fluffed over it a little bit uh, with just the, the nun and so forth. But there were a whole series of things going on, the, the writing, the prediction of the burning of the, the rectory. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating story in itself. And I know we are running out of, of time right now, so uh, can you give us a quick synopsis of what was going on? <laughs> you want me to do bowling in, what, two minutes? <laughs> big, big building, very old, haunted, burnt down, uh, stayed haunted, still haunted, church over the road, still haunted. Uh, that has... Okay. The ghost seems to have moved across the road, but it's um, it's a building that continues. It's a location that continues to draw investigators to the point where there, every 28th of July, people come to the village en masse to, in the hope of seeing the nun. Ah. It's become a, a place of pilgrimage, a mecca for ghost hunters. Mm -hmm. uh, any ghost hunter. It, there, there are Facebook pages dedicated to it where people write down their experiences, which are ongoing daily. You know, um, right. People put new pictures, people put new uh, experiences, but it's all moved over the road because the rectory did burn down in 1939, was finally pulled down in 1945. Um, the, the haunting moved over the road in, 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 in its, uh, and has changed as well. We now have a um, a more modern type of haunting. So if somebody really wanted to learn about uh, Bowley, what book do you, would you recommend? <coughs> well, since we don't have time to cover it right now. Well, the, the two greatest books have to be Price's own, The Most Haunted House in England by Harry Price and The End of Bowley Rectory. Mm. But a Google search will, in fact, there are, uh, there's a Harry Price, I think it's harryprice.com, which has the book in a readable format. Mm -hmm. Price produced very many more right, books. Very good, thank you. So speaking of books, uh, <laughs> yeah. you also have your own book out now, which is called Paracoustics. So mm -hmm. what is the premise of this book, and how can people get uh, copies of it? Well, it's available on Amazon, um, everywhere in the world. So if you're watching in Japan, uh, India, America, <laughs> the UK. Uh, it's a book idea that I had a number of years ago, because my, my area of research uh, interest is in the way that sound interacts with people uh, in a paranormal context and there are lots of other my, my area is infrasound um, but there are lots of other people Cal Cooper who co-edited it with me uh, his, uh, his work on telephone calls from the dead is sound there are others who look at shamanism who look at um, voices uh, within seances uh, the knocks the raps the bangs that happen in hauntings and seances so we wanted to put together the, I think, the first attempt at doing a definitive work um, and a cool cover. Cool cover. And a cool <laughs> cover. Definitely, definitely. I love you. He's got a little, it may be hard to see on the, uh, on the television, but uh, it's a cool little ghost with headphones on. Very creative. So, now, did you, uh, did you draw that? Um, I didn't draw the ghost. <laughs> I, the cover design uh, is is entirely mine, and uh, <laughs> the 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 next book that follows it, Ghostology, which is due out in uh, four or five weeks' time, nice. has almost an identical cover, but the ghost has lost his headphones, <laughs> and the background changes colour. <laughs> Great. Well, you have That's five awesome. seconds to sell a book on a shelf, don't you? 
That's true. You know, it's gonna uh, catch your eye. And if you see that uh, in amongst a load of ghost books on a shelf, you're gonna think it's in the wrong place. Right. It's, uh, right. Pure that's, marketing that's and, and right. fun. Well, there's also it. humour in it. it. We, we okay. have to. Uh, I think it's got to be, even in the reference work. I think you have to put something of yourself into it. Absolutely. And the something of us on is on the back cover, but uh, nobody's ever spotted it yet. <laughs> the little cord, the little microphone cord. No, no, no. Um, the most famous psychic medium in the world, Daniel Douglas Hume, who uh, was famous for levitating out of a London window, 70 feet above the ground, floating around and floating back in again. Oh. And we we were trying to find some quotes for the back cover. Uh, so we had uh, a quote from Daniel Hughes, <laughs> and it says it's an uplifting read. Oh my God, that's awesome! Well, we need, we do need to. Uh, we're just about done, so we need to wrap it up. Okay. And uh, we want to thank Steve. It's been a pleasure. To to for coming back. Steve was our very first guest. That's right. On our maiden voyage of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation live video broadcast. Oh, I nearly wrecked the set. And he almost wrecked the set. No. It was fine. Don't we but, get like uh, the confetti coming down in the blue? I know, we should have confetti. But, um, you know, if we hadn't missed a show over the summer, tonight would have been our anniversary show. So we missed it by one. But so thank you, Steve, so much for uh, absolute pleasure. blessing us again and, uh, and gracing us with your presence. <laughs> and, uh, if, being sober. Uh, and sober and being sober. We appreciate that as well. So uh, until next time. I think we need to say good night. Thanks for listening, and see you again next time. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.